0: Hello and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley. glad you're with us, and happy holidays to you all. In this episode, anti-abortionists want to jail people who traffic in the abortion pills that have become popular since the Supreme Court gutted Roe v. Wade. President Joe Biden wants to improve relations with countries in Africa, in part to keep up with China. Will it work? Florida Governor DeSantis facing opposition from, of all people, the right flank of his own party. A Republican gala in New York draws the sublime and mostly the ridiculous. And of course, there are those Trump trading cards. But we start with abortion pills. It's been six months since the Supreme Court essentially snatched away a woman's right to choose what to do with her own body. What abortion opponents hadn't banked on, was the two-step abortion pill that has emerged as an alternative to clinical abortions. It's driving them crazy. That's because you can access abortion pills through the mail and not necessarily from suppliers inside the U.S. Conservatives in states where abortion has been banned or almost banned are starting to use words like traffickers to define abortion pill suppliers and those advocates who help women access them. In Texas, ground zero for anti-abortion activity, pro-life groups are trying to figure out a strategy to block access to the pills. The problem is, some of the things they're considering might well raise free speech concerns. Are you listening, Elon Musk? Trying to compel internet companies to block access to abortion pill websites might fall into that category. Most internet providers seem to be interested primarily in making money. Besides, do you seriously think Meta will voluntarily do this? Not a chance. There are, according to an article in the Washington Post, some out-and-out strange things the anti-abortion movement is contemplating. One group is raising environmental concerns about aborted fetuses. It's already been discredited. Another group is suing the Food and Drug Administration for its approval of one of the two abortion pills that are currently used. That approval was decades ago. All this, of course, is set against a political background. With an election coming up in less than two years, some Republicans and abortion opponents are actually, and we should be clear about this, they're not always the same thing. They're urging caution, always worrying about their own jobs. They see some serious blowback against the high court decision over the past six months and that's at the ballot box, and there's likely to be more. The last thing they want is that blowback to sweep them out of office. Can the, bill, uh, can the pills, that is, return a woman's right to choose? Only partially. Yet the plain fact is, short of stepping on the rights of more Americans by invading the U.S. mail to stop distribution of the abortion pill, their efforts could well be in vain. And we ought to be clear about something. These are people who really feel they have dominion over the bodies of millions of women across the country. They feel they have the right because of their religious beliefs. Let's be clear about that. And no one wants to abrogate anyone's religious beliefs. But when you start imposing your religious beliefs on other people, that's when you have to stop that's when you have to press pause. That's when you have to look at exactly what it is that these people wish to accomplish. And the bottom line is they want a complete and total abortion ban. Rape or incest, doesn't really matter. They want an end to abortion in America. And the people who believe women have a right to choose are gonna have to respond with equal force to these folks, because they're not gonna stop. They took five decades, essentially, to get a Supreme Court to reverse Roe v. Wade. They are not prepared to stop there. They've made that perfectly clear. Up next, Joe Biden wants to improve U.S. relations with African countries. Can playing catch up to China actually work? This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. Once many years ago, I was invited to a political dinner in the Bronx. Aside from some wonderful food for an affair of this type, because usually it's rubber chicken, one thing struck me. There was a table of Asian men sitting in one corner of the room. From time to time, they got up and rubbed shoulders with the politicians, many of whom I knew at other tables. When I asked a friend who was a politician, who they were, I was told it was a delegation from the People's Republic of China. Now, at the time, this was highly unusual because, of course, the U.S. had fraught relations with China. But my friend explained they wanted to create ties with the Bronx, at the time, one of the poorest counties in America. Back then, I thought it was odd, but no more. China's Belt and Road Initiative has established ties with countries around the world, especially with the continent of Africa. America has largely been seen as playing catch-up for a number of different reasons. Of course, the presidency of Donald Trump, one of the reasons, didn't help matters much. He, after all, referred to the entire continent, 54 countries, I might add, with an expletive and said, Nigerian immigrants, once they came to the U.S., would never go back to their huts. That's a direct quote. Now, Biden is trying to change that negative perception of the U.S. across the continent. He recently assembled the leaders of 49 African nations in Washington. It's the first time that's been done since 2014 during the administration of, guess who, Barack Obama. Calling it the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit, Biden said, quoting here, the United States is all in on Africa's future. Together, we want to build a future of opportunity where no one, no one is left behind, end quote. He also pledged $55 billion over the next three years. Now, that may seem like a lot. And, you know, to ordinary folks like me, it is a lot. Until you realize America has sent $68 billion in aid to Ukraine in a much shorter period of time than three years. True, they are obviously fighting a war, but it puts Biden's pledge to one country in perspective. American money to the continent is aimed at establishment of a free trade zone continent-wide, help with transitions to a clean economy and digital technology. This is in stark contrast to the African entreaties from the Chinese who opt for helping the continent with infrastructure programs, road building, bridge building, etc. Here's the problem the U.S. has. And it's a problem, by the way, that is shared with many Western nations in terms of their relationship to the continent of Africa. For many years, it has been perceived as condescending and patronizing toward Africa. And by the way, that precedes Donald Trump. Yes. George W. Bush and Barack Obama have tried to change that perception, but they only got so far. I can tell you one thing they need to do, and this is just from my perspective, right off the bat. They need to stop treating a continent like a country. Donald Trump made that same mistake. This is a uniquely Western fault. And by the way, it knows no color because I know a lot of black people that treat the continent of Africa as if it was one country. And it absolutely is not. I repeat, there are 54 countries in Africa. No other continent on the planet is seen as one unitary whole. Europe isn't. Neither is North, South America, or Asia. I know there are reasons for this, in particular, the the slave trade. But maybe it's time that that perception changed. And when I say that perception changes, what they need to start doing is looking at the continent of Africa as 54 different countries. In other words, Moroccans are not the same as Kenyans, not the same as South Africans, not the same as Botswanans. There are different and diverse peoples across the continent of Africa And one thing the West can do, and in particular the United States and Joe Biden, is start recognizing that fact. Joe Biden has his work cut out for him. Having Gladys Knight perform at the summit dinner is lovely, but he's going to have to put America's money and its perceptions where his mouth is. Up next, Republicans in Wonderland. Ron DeSantis faces friendly fire while a New York GOP gala draws the mainstream and the fringe of the Republican Party. This is The Intersection. Happy festive season from Mark Riley and the team at The Intersection. Welcome back to The Intersection. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has been doing quite a bit of flexing lately He's emerged as the anti-Trump Trumpster, the guy who can wrest control of the Republican Party from the former guy's iron grip. Suddenly, he appears vulnerable from inside his own right flank. Some people are saying he hasn't been tough enough on abortion. Now, this is a guy who signed a bill banning abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy, with no exception for rape or incest. That appears not to be good enough for hardline anti abortionists in the Sunshine State. I'm not sure at all what it is they're actually looking for, but it's interesting to note that Florida has twice the rate of pregnancy termination as the rest of the country. So, what do these people want from DeSantis? A total ban, that's what. Never mind that two thirds of Floridians in a recent poll want abortion to remain legal. DeSantis is facing a quandary. The midterm elections would seem to indicate that hardline Republicans were punished at the polls. DeSantis, on the other hand, won re-election by 20 percentage points. Going all in for a total ban may make some happy in his home state, but Ron DeSantis is eyeing a run for president in two years. There's no guarantee he'll be on the right side of this issue nationally. As a result, he seems to be trying to walk a tightrope, saying he's pro-life, but changing the subject when it comes to a full ban. Oddly enough, the man who put together the Supreme Court that overturned Roe v. Wade has been silent on abortion as well. Trump didn't mention the issue in his speech announcing his run for president. As you can tell, it's all about political calculation. Will hardline abortion opponents begin the process of trying to get a nationwide ban? We'll see. Meanwhile, last weekend drew a motley assorted of newly elected members of Congress, along with a fringe congressperson or two, as well as white nationalists and European members of far-right political parties to a gala sponsored by the New York Young Republican Club. The Young Republicans have been around at least since I was in college, which was a long, long time ago. Back then, they were famous for supporting the Vietnam War without ever sending a member of the club to go and fight it. Anyway, the gathering drew some notoriously, uh, some notoriety, that is, not just for some of the right-wing lug nuts who were invited, but for a statement made by none other than Marjorie Taylor Greene. Here's what she said about the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol and, by inference, democracy. Quote, And I want to tell you something. If Steve Bannon and I had organized that, we would have won. Not to mention, it would have been armed. She later said she was being sarcastic. Yeah, right. What's also interesting about the gala was that a few invitees were incoming members of Congress from New York. They'd flipped previous Democratic seats and helped the GOP gain a majority in the House of Representatives. Do you think they want to be associated with some right-wing crazies in or out of the House? I'll leave that one up to you. And finally, speaking of crazy, did you hear the one about Donald Trump and his virtual playing cards? This is The intersection. Join the conversation at Mark Riley Media on Facebook. Welcome back to The Intersection. Last week, that former president, you know who I mean, alerted his fans to what he called a major announcement on his Truth Social platform. Turns out the announcement was the release of his digital trading cards. Yep, trading cards. They had images of Trump as, among other things, a race car driver, a wrestler, and a football player. I know, I couldn't stop laughing either. People said whoever dreamt up this foolishness should be fired immediately. And yet, it seems the cards sold out in less than a day. Before you say I'm out of my mind, check it out for yourself. Now it's true, there were only 45,000 of these little gems for sale. Consider that at 99 bucks a throw, they made Trump between four and a half and $5 million. Buyers were also entered into a competition for prizes including dinner with Trump at Mar-a-Lago, a round of golf with Trump, and a Zoom call with Guess Who? None of the money raised from this card trick will be going to his campaign, however. It's all his through a licensing deal. Trump is no stranger to such deals, having lent his name to all manner of products, many of which are long gone, some of which still make him millions of dollars. Maybe instead of firing the person that came up with this idea, assuming that it's not Trump himself, he or she should get a promotion. Stranger things have in fact happened. But I have to ask the question, and maybe it's just me, but I have to ask the question, what kind of person who wants to lead America lead America, govern, who already did lead America for four years, what kind of person puts out trading cards, virtual, digital, however you want to describe them, N, what is it, NFT, whatever it is, what kind of individual who wants to lead this great country puts out trading cards of himself for $99 a throw? And apparently their value has gone up as demand has gone up. Now, 45,000 people is not a gigantic number when you look at America, which has 300 some odd million people. But And maybe all the people who are involved here are not zealots, not Trumpists or whatever. Maybe some of them saw a good investment and decided to cash in on it. I don't know. I do know that it is unseemly. Could you imagine Barack Obama Waking up one day and says, hey, you know, I'm a former president. I have some goodwill out here. Let me put out some trading cards that people can buy for 100 bucks a throw and see what happens. Let's roll the dice. I don't see that taking place in Barack Obama's universe, much less his mind. Yet here's Donald Trump announcing he's running for president yet again and sits up and does this and creates trading cards. Is that what he does in his spare time? Now I understand maybe why he didn't read all the briefings that he should have read. And of course, he's got a really tough week coming up just before Christmas. Can you imagine? He's got the tax thing. He's got the January 6th thing. He's got a bunch of stuff that he's staring in the face. So maybe this is his way of diverting attention. Maybe it's his way of picking up pocket money. Either way, it's whack. Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley. And music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, please be well.